Previously on Stuck in the Middle Kingdom with you, Jess and I went to Nanjing and we climbed Purple Mountain, where the late great Sun Yat-sen is buried. Near the base of Purple Mountain, surrounded by trees and down the road from the tomb of the tyrant of Nanjing, the Hongwu Emperor, is the erstwhile home of Sung Mei Ling, wife of Chiang Kai-shek and one time First Lady of China. Chiang Kai-shek was the nationalist leader after Sun Yat-sen, Mao Zedong's foe for many decades, and ultimately the loser against Mao and his communists. But things could have turned out differently. Chiang had a lot of advantages in the great game of Chinese politics, and his wife was certainly one of them. Mei Ling was a learned and spirited first lady, hugely influential with her charm and use of English, just at a time when China needed the aid of America to fend off the Japanese in the Second World War. She was the third of three sisters, and each of them played vital parts in the story of China in the 20th century. But their family would not survive the relentless stream of crises that rocked the country throughout the century. Their father was one Han Chiao Shun, born poor on the southern Chinese island of Hainan, who, in a classic rags-to-riches move, found himself in Boston, USA, playing the merchant's game. The legend goes that Han wound up on a ship as a stowaway. Captain took this young whippersnapper under his wing, and before long had given him an education, a Christian enlightenment, and a new name to boot. He returned to Shanghai in 1886 as Charlie Sung, tasked with bringing the word of the Lord to China, and he made a mint selling Bibles at a reasonable price. Charlie married into money, and soon met the man who would change the course of the country, Sun Yat-sen, the young revolutionary. It was 1900, slap bang in the middle of the short-lived Boxer Rebellion. Against the backdrop of the Boxer Rebellion, the Sun's first daughter, Ai Ling, was sent to the USA for school, becoming the first Chinese woman ever to do so. By 1908, the other two daughters, Qingling and Meiling, had joined her, and they all set about getting endearing Georgian accents. According to their old school, Ai Ling was precocious, serious, and determined. Mei Ling was mischievous and sharp-witted, and Qing Ling was quiet and profound. The adage that has since come to describe them is, one loved money, one loved power, and one loved her country. Tellingly, it was Qing Ling, the one who loved her country, who responded most enthusiastically in 1911 to the news of the overthrow of the Qing dynasty. Upon her return to China, the eldest sister, Ai Ling, became secretary to Sun Yat-sen. She married H. H. Kun, a descendant of Confucius, who was on his way to becoming the richest man in China. Not a bad start for the sister who loved money. But not to be beaten, Qing Ling returned from Georgia and got the same job that Ai Ling had, but she went one better by enthusiastically eloping with Sun. Her father, Charlie, was betrayed. It was the first of a thousand cuts in the Sung family body. Last but not least, Mei Ling returned, and in due course, family connections would make marriage to a KMT soldier named Chiang Kai-shek a pretty good proposition. He would have to dump his wife and convert to Christianity to win over the Sungs, and that's exactly what he did. For Chiang, the wealthy and well-connected Sungs were the ideal extended family. By the time of their marriage, 1927, Sun Yat-sen had established the Nationalist Party, the KMT, died of cancer, 
leaving Qingling a widow and Qiang in charge. Chiang Kai-shek and his new wife, Mei Ling, having taken the helm, dismissed Sun's progressive social democratic nationalism, put an end to the cooperation that Sun had with communists, and began moulding the KMT into a right-wing, paranoid and xenophobic junta. Chiang used his new wealthy family members to make alliances with Shanghai's criminals, paving the way for the murderous crackdown of the communists in Shanghai. Go back to episode 12, Random Impulse if you want to listen again to that particular sorry saga. Chiang's frenzied assault on Sun's principles as he climbed the slippery pole towards autocratic control would sour relations with his sister-in-law, Cheng Ling, who knew her late husband was spinning in his grave. During the 1930s, Chiang Kai-shek made use of his other sister-in-law, Ai Ling. Her rich husband, H. H. Kun, was made China's Minister of Finance, Kun was a well-travelled man and had been in Europe. He'd been rather impressed with a dashing man with a moustache who'd taken over Germany, and the amusing man who ruled Italy was a good fellow too, by all accounts. Despite the beleaguered nationalist government having to move the capital all over the place during the first half of the 20th century, as different foes caused numerous advances and retreats, it was here, at the foot of Purple Mountain, that the Meiling Palace was built in 1931. With a suitable mix of Chinese and Western styles, the trees circling the house make a necklace shape from above, the house itself being the pendant. From here, Meiling pioneered welfare programs to help the children of people killed in combat, so-called warphans, and she set up orphanages nearby for the children. After the attack on Pearl Harbor, regional conflicts went truly global. China's fight against the Japanese became part of the wider struggle against fascism. Chiang Kai-shek spoke no English, so his wife Mei Ling's American education made her an extremely handy first lady in winning over the Americans in the fight against the Japanese. But her impact went further. In true femme fatale style, she is rumoured to have had an affair with Wendell Wilkie, the amusingly named American presidential candidate, who travelled to China during the war. Dreaming of a future that would never come to pass, she mused that if Wendell could be elected, then he and I would rule the world. I would rule the Orient, and Wendell would rule the West. Wendell got his place in the history books as one of those candidates who never got the nomination. He died of a heart attack, perhaps brought on by recollecting the famous slit in Mailing's skirt. Mailing's dream of ruling the world fared little better. Nanjing was once again proclaimed the capital of China after the defeat of the Japanese, but respite was not forthcoming, and... After putting aside their differences for a few years to take on the Japanese as Chinese brothers and sisters, the bitter rivalries between the nationalists and the communists picked up once again. By this time, Cheng Ling, Madame Sun Yat-sen, had defected. Back in 1939, Cheng Ling had established the China Defense League, which became the China Welfare Fund a few years later. In each guise, the task was to gather funds and supplies, but there was always a heavy bias towards the communists. When the war with Japan ended, Cheng Ling withdrew from her family entirely. First, she joined the Revolutionary Committee of the Kuomintang, 
which saw itself as the true spiritual heir of Sun Yat-sen's party, and now exists as one of the eight sanctioned other parties in modern-day China, still clinging to Sun's legacy. Then she advanced north, fully into the bosom of the ever-stronger Communist Party, which embraced her as a useful propaganda link between themselves and Sun's previous revolution. On the cusp of defeat in the late 40s, the Nationalists sent a warrant for Ching Ling's arrest, but it was too late. Ching Ling and the Communist victory was inevitable. Mei Ling followed her husband Chiang Kai-shek to Taiwan, never to return. By then, Ai Ling and the minted H.H. Kun had gone to America to live out a couple more decades in relative peace. Cheng Ling was to be snapped in 1949 in Tiananmen Square as the communists celebrated founding the People's Republic of China. She was only just getting started. Her subsequent career at the top of Chinese politics began with winning the 1950 Stalin Peace Prize. Yes, the Stalin Peace Prize. She went on to survive the turmoil of the Mao years, even becoming a vice president for some time. Just before her death in 1981, she became the only ever honorary chairwoman of the People's Republic of China. As with Mailing, she's remembered for her efforts in charity and politics to improve the welfare of the poor. Mailing lived longer than the rest of the caste, longer than Chiang, who ruled the Republic of China, also known as Taiwan, from 1949 to his death in 1975, longer than Mao and Zhou Enlai and Dong Xiaoping, longer than the wealthy Ai Ling, who died in New York in 1973, and longer than Qing Ling, who died in 1981. The communists invited Mei Ling to Beijing to attend her sister's funeral, but she turned them down. She lived a reclusive life in New York and died in 2003, aged 106. Jess, Tina and I moped about the museum in Mei Ling's old home, considering the fine tableware and portraiture, the strange exquisiteness and delicacy which contrast so much with the turbulent times when the house was occupied. From the gift shop I bought a tote bag, designed with nostalgic, down-to-the-countryside propaganda, which relates to an entirely different era when the communists forcibly relocated millions of students, including young Liu Xiaobo, to the countryside to work the land and get toughened up with the spirit of honest work. There are people back home who'd support that kind of policy for our teenagers, I told Tina with a smirk. But it seems she couldn't really work out if I was joking, possibly because I didn't really know if I was joking. Depending on which side you're on, either Cheng Ling or Mei Ling could be the sister who betrayed China. What isn't in dispute though is Wang Jingwei, the man who helped pave the road to hell with good intentions and then ordered a taxi for the devil to drive down it. Wang Jingwei was one of Sun Yat-sen's inner circle and he had ambitions to lead the Nationalist Party and the country after Sun's death. With Chiang in control of the army, massacring communist sympathizers and taking the fight to the warlords in the north, Wang's concerns were overseas, namely the western colonizers and the growing conflict with Japan. In Wang's eyes, this spelled certain doom for China. In his wish to uphold peace, he would ultimately end up a Japanese collaborator, an appeaser of fascism. It would mean turning a blind eye to the most notorious atrocity committed in his homeland. 
So next time I'm stuck in the Middle Kingdom with you. The final part of this trilogy of episodes centred around Nanjing. How Chiang Kai-shek had to abandon the city as the Japanese approached. How rivalries within China's leadership undermined the war effort. And the story of the good Nazi who saved many Chinese who would have been killed by a particularly unhinged Japanese army. <laughs>